Four years ago, the Boston Globe called Dick Evans Mr. Marijuana. He's called cannabis prohibition racist. He chaired the question for ballot question to legalize adult use of cannabis in 2016. An attorney for 35 years and now part of his own Evans Cutler law firm out of Northampton, Dick Evans was the keynote speaker for NECAN in Springfield. Now he's on In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. Don't look now, but it's a whole new world of weed out there. Pot is flower, it's Bruce Banner and Blue Dream. You've got bongs and dabs, resin and shatter, vaping and edibles, new terms, new strains, and new ways to use cannabis sativa, the plant. Some just made with CBD, and hemp has minimal THC. There's sativa and indica strains and 100 chemicals, all legal in 10 states for adult use. There's a lot to get to know. Get used to it, folks, because it's legal in the Bay State and it's not going away. Neither is In the Weeds with Jimmy Young next. Revolutionary Clinics is just one of 49 medical cannabis dispensaries in Massachusetts, but there's a reason why it's one of the most popular. It's their patient-first philosophy. All day long, they teach, they educate, they communicate about this complicated plant called cannabis sativa. That's true. Whether you visit their Cambridge location in Fresh Pond at 110 Fawcett Street or at 67 Broadway in Somerville. Revolutionary Clinics, where the patient comes first. Hi everyone, welcome to a very special edition of In the Weeds with Jimmy Young here on location at the Mass Mutual Center in Springfield, Massachusetts, the site of the first annual NECAN, New England Cannabis Convention show here and conference. Joining me is the keynote speaker here at NECAN. His name is Dick Evans, longtime cannabis advocate, an attorney by trade for Evans Cutler Attorneys. Dick Evans, Jimmy Young. Darn glad to meet you. My pleasure. You did a heck of a job in there as the keynote speaker. Thank and you. I'm going to start right with the best story because it was the story that we already bonded yes. over. Uh, yes. The TSA is supposed yes. to be very cool, right? Yes. Yes. Tell me your story and then I'll say the same thing happened. Well, the story, what's significant about the story is I like to think it illustrates how serious the federal government is about enforcing the federal prohibition laws. Yes. And so I was taking a domestic flight several years ago. And it was several years ago. Oh, this was like three years ago. Okay, yeah. good. And I got pulled out of the line to have my, my bag checked, by right. my knapsack right. uh, checked by the TSA guy. A random check, they call that. Totally random check. And, and he opened it up and he pulled out my shaving kit. And then, to my horror, I realized right there on top of everything was a bag of weed, a lighter, and a pipe. And I'm thinking, oh, this is the end of my career. And then in a very stern voice, the TSA agent said to me, Sir, you can't fly with that. And he reached in and grabbed my toothpaste and threw it in the bin and sent me on my way. That's right. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why, and the same thing happened to me, that's one of the reasons why the TSA set out these guidelines now and that one of the first things they said is, look, we're cool. We know that there's no harm to public safety if you're walking onto a plane with cannabis, especially if you're from a legal state, correct? Yeah. They're there to kind of protect us as passengers to make sure nobody blows up the plane, right? Needless to say, people that are um, using uh, cannabis are pretty mellow when you get right down to it. Um, one other story that you talked about uh, a lot is a lot of people are coming out of the closet. 
You know, you're hearing about uh, superstar athletes getting into either the CBD space or they admit that they used while they were playing for the National Football League. I'm talking about Chris Long, who, whose father, Howie, uh, grew up in Boston and Charlestown, works for Fox, uh, played for the Patriots, has retired, and now he said, look, we all do it. We're told when these testings are going to happen, so we know when we have to clear our system out. And it sure beats taking opioids, doesn't it, Dick? Uh, I guess my point is, this is a huge step as we move towards a new normal, isn't it? It is indeed. Uh, people are coming out of the closet all over the, the place. The cannabis closet, I like that. Yeah, I get, I get a lot of clients uh, come into the office, and sometimes they're frequently, you know, guys like, look like you. Uh-oh. And the first words out of their mouth is, I've been growing pot since I was 14. <laughs> 14 is the magic age, by the way. Yeah. I, I, I admit, yeah. first time user of 14, okay. okay? That was yeah. a long, many, many, many years ago, let's just say. Yeah. Um, the Department of Agriculture comes out recently in Massachusetts and throws a little curve into this whole CBD thing. You talked about CBD, too. You know, the Farm Act was passed in December, allowing hemp farmers to get the CBD extracted from the hemp. But they're still having issues with putting it in food or in liquid, and the FDA is still taking public hearings. Who's in charge of making the rules or on CBD? Is it agriculture? Is it FDA? Is it Cannabis Control Commission? Who's going to go under? Whose umbrella is that going to go under? All of the above. I knew that was going to be the answer. <laughs> just, just to confuse everybody. It, to me, it, no. What a crazy... Don't ask me to sort out the law of CBD. Fair enough. I think it's so complicated now. Yeah. It's really hard to make any sense of. And, is, and the reason why it's confusing is because it's a molecule that is non-intoxicating that comes from the cannabis sativa plant. That's right. And I, but so why bother with the damn thing? But we put supplements in food all the time. Because it comes from marijuana. And you remember what H.L. Mencken said, although it may not apply exactly, which is in every time and in every place, there are always those who will never rest so long as anyone anywhere is having fun. That's right. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and by the way, CBD, again, non-intoxicating, yeah. right? So I, I get that the, the laws are certainly confused. I know that there are Massachusetts farmers who are very upset when a state agency comes out and says, look, guys, we got a problem with this crop that you're growing, even though we all recognize it's legal under federal law after all this fight, right? Now they want to regulate CBD, too. Well, you have to distinguish between the problems caused by the crop itself and the problems caused by the law mm. concerning the law. Yes. And the problems are not with the crop. The problems are with the law. Yes, I understand. And that's why when people ask me, uh, what's a good investment for cannabis? I go, do you know a local law firm? <laughs> because we're going to be interpreting these laws now forever, and they're the ones that are really going to have to be the, doing the dirty work, if you will, and presenting the cases and making the cases. Um, but, Dick, you reminisced about the old days, about what people who used to uh, partake in cannabis and enjoy, um, whether that was in the 60s, 70s, or 80s, and now we're living in a legal state, and you said we're all kind of coming out of the closet. I can't believe it happened in my home state of Massachusetts. Very proud of my home state, I might add. Yes. Um, and I do give the Cannabis Control Commission a lot of credit because they were really handed a blank piece of paper and said, okay, 
figure this out, guys, with a little guidance from the legislature. What's your opinion on how they've done as far as the rollout process? Oh, I'll give them a B plus or an A minus. I think they've done a pretty good job. I think they've done, they've worked with what they have. And uh, I, I mean, we could always dick a few pick, pick a few nits, I should say. But uh, for the most part, I think the CCC has, has done a credible job. And I think the, the hardest job they've had to do is to address this social equity issue. Mm -hmm. And I'm very proud of the fact that our law, and ours was the first law of any of the legalization laws, that accepted and acknowledged responsibility for that brutal fact of history that I talked about a few minutes ago. Right. The fact that the marijuana prohibition laws were conceived, enacted, implemented and deployed for the purpose of providing an instrument of oppression against minorities. Well, our law acknowledges that fact with 35 words that require the CCC to make opportunities available in the industry. I think there's been some disappointment that not more minorities have, have, have submitted applications and have gotten involved. And maybe someday we'll have to think about maybe there's a better way of correcting these historical uh, uh, historic injustices. Mm -hmm. But for now, they're doing everything they can. Right. Um, you mentioned the States Act opening up the banks to the cannabis industry. There's well over 200 votes now, uh, co-sponsors of this in the House of Representatives. I went down to lobby days in, in May Good. and talked to some lobbyists down there. Fascinating time for me. Anyway, that being said, how I'm, I'm extremely worried about the political climate in Washington, D.C., because as you know, there's a pretty big divide between these two parties that rule our political system and the House being controlled by the Democrats. Now, granted, this is one of those laws or, or, or these are one of those um, proposals that the Republicans are stepping over and supporting because they like banks, I think. Marijuana crosses all boundaries, mm -hmm. age boundaries, racial boundaries, political party boundaries, mm -hmm. you name it. There, there you, can't, you can't say that the Democrats are any better on marijuana than the Republicans are. It's one, in fact, um, if anything, it could be a one issue that actually unites both parties. It is indeed. And, and are you aware of any opposition in Washington right now to reform? Uh, there's a couple of lobbyist groups that are the anti, the prohibitionists that are still down there. You mean the smart approach to marijuana people? That's, yeah, yeah. they're the ones. Yeah. But even they should understand the importance. It's a public safety issue to allow a business to do business yeah. with banks. Yeah, well, it, it, Sam officially says they don't support prohibition. They support smart approaches to legalization, whatever that means. We'll see. But, but, but I have not seen any real concentrated opposition to marijuana reform in Washington in the last couple of years. Okay. And I, I'm very optimistic that things are going to change. And, when Biden, and it could change overnight, sorry? too. There could be, like, some celebrity could get busted, or you know, and I, it will happen overnight. And uh, when it does, no one will look back. Well, they're certainly you know? trying to get this state's act or the Safe Banking Act taken care of before the summer vacation for these guys. Uh, and they do seem to be ready to take it to a vote to the House. It's the Senate that I'm worried about more than anything else, just for the sake of blocking it. That's my biggest fear. Well, it's you, may, still there, right? you may be justified having that fear, but, but uh, I'm optimistic. All right, good. And so is Barney Frank when I had good. him in the oh, booth. Good. Good. He said, go for a small win. New York State, um, they are actually excited that they decriminalized cannabis 
over the last, uh, they couldn't get it legalized, but they're excited that they decriminalize it. That's beyond, that's not even a baby step, that's that, an that, infant step. That's so last century. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, I love that. And yet here was a governor who wanted it to be legalized. There's quite a few governors out there who understand the benefits of the tax that they can use to build better roads and, and improve our education system and our prison reform system. They see benefits that they can use the tax on cannabis to improve society. They want it, but again, it doesn't come down to education. How do we educate the legislatures? You know, it's not a question of education. Okay. They know it. I, mean, I learned this in 2008 when Massachusetts voters uh, approved decriminalization. I remember very clearly walking across the Boston Common after a victory party at some yeah. place. And I was blown away, you know, for decades, those of us in the movement have been saying we need to educate the public mm -hmm. about marijuana. When they understand the truth about marijuana, then they'll come around and support reform. Well, you know, we made a lot of speeches. I, I talked to a lot of Kiwanis clubs, but not that many, you know. <laughs> I, I, the fact is, yeah. the point I'm trying to make here is that the public didn't need to be educated. They knew the truth about marriage. What the public needed was the opportunity to go into the privacy of a voting booth without anybody looking over their shoulder and say what they really thought about the marijuana laws. And they did. And that's why we succeeded in 2008 and in 2012, and most especially in 2016, with full legalization. So it's not about educating. It's about providing cover. Okay, and, and the stigma that still exists when you mention the word, whether it's marijuana or cannabis or hemp, uh, we're breaking that down, yes? Oh, we totally are, yes. You're seeing that? Oh, yeah. All right. Everywhere. Um, i got to ask you to do, repeat the Carl Sagan quote because, I, first of all, we all love Carl Sagan. Come on. Sure. And who doesn't like astronomy? And right. Aren't we, and are we celebrating, was it 50 years of uh, walking on the moon? Uh, right in 1969, right? We did that? So, uh, in fact, I think it was Michael Collins, the astronaut, threw out the first picture of the Red Sox game last night. Is that right? Yeah, which is okay. really 88-year-old astronaut still able to throw a baseball. Did he get it to, to uh, home plate? You know, I saw him walk off the mound. Uh, usually they make sure that they can get to the point where he can oh, reach. Yeah, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so talk about Carl Sagan again, because it was such a great quote of your speech. I want to I <clears throat> resurrect that. Carl Sagan asked the question. He said, what's wrong with using a drug that produces serenity, insight, sensitivity, and fellowship, qualities so desperately needed in this mad and dangerous world? You know what that goes with. So I ha that was awesome, by the way. That was terrific. And that's going to wrap up this edition of In the Weeds with Dick Evans and me, Jimmy Young. And I'm going to have, I have this closing line that I use now. Perfect example of why it's a whole new world of weed out there. Use it responsibly. For Dick Evans and my new friends from Western Mass, thanks a lot for watching and listening to In the Weeds with Jimmy Young. Revolutionary Clinics is just one of 49 medical cannabis dispensaries in Massachusetts, but there's a reason why it's one of the most popular. It's their patient-first philosophy. All day long, they teach, they educate, they communicate about this complicated plant called Cannabis Sativa. That's true. Whether you visit their Cambridge location in Fresh Pond at 110 Fawcett Street or at 67 Broadway in Somerville. Revolutionary Clinics, where the patient comes first. 
In the Weeds with Jimmy Young is a video podcast produced by the Pro Cannabis Media Network for the entertainment and education of our audience. All opinions on this show should not be considered medical advice or reflect the opinions of the management of CLNS Media, C-Suite Network, Pro Cannabis Media Group, or its marketing partners.